So, this is the last sermon in the series on Mark's Gospel. Have you enjoyed this series? Which start? Yes, it started back back in uh, the beginning of May. Actually, um, we also produced this sort of in-house study guide. Many of you contributed to this. Who, who's found these helpful for personal or connect group life? Some of you have. It's worth reading. It's worth looking at. Um, I just wonder if people have got any sort of highlights from either the sermons that they've heard preached or something that stirred them from reading through that Bible study. And I, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to tell us what you thought. How, only the good stuff, right? The, the, the negative stuff we can talk about afterwards. Just, just tell us what you thought was good about this current series. What spoke to you? What challenged you? What changed you? as a result of hearing the Word of God preached. Now, Rebecca's got a microphone to come to you, so you need to put your hand up. and You don't have to stand up, but you can say it so everyone can hear. There's a lady over there. Run, Rebecca. Run. <laughs> yes, um, I remember one week when um, it was talking about having your personal time with God, quiet times in prayer and reading the Bible and spending time, that quality time that you get, you, you, you can spend with God and how is the good ways to do that and there was even some people up on stage sharing their thoughts and how they spend time with God and how they found it and I remember one person saying their experience have always been similar to my experience I've been told well you need to pray for one hour and read your Bible for one hour well to me that's two hours I'm thinking well I'm going to spend two hours every day by the time I've gotten up, one minute had gone past and I'm half asleep. And am I going to have to spend two hours? Oh, my gosh. That is a challenge I found, like, really, like, hmm, a challenge. And, um, but when uh, there was someone sharing about how they spent the time with God during, I believe it was yourself, it was yourself there, you were sharing about how you spend time with God on a daily basis, um, even just you can the phones and things like that. You know, you find a scripture on the phone, something like that throughout the day. That really helped. That I found uh, that really changed my relationship with God. Complete change, and how just just praying, e- even just five minutes in the morning, just get up and say, God, thank you for the day. Just sort of simple things like that really helped me grow in my relationship with God, and that was Brilliant. really great. Brilliant. Thank you. We don't have to impose time limits on ourselves do we but we just want to get with Jesus and spend time with him in prayer and looking at his word anyone else what spoke to you about some of the sermons that we've been through in this series you've forgotten haven't you I knew it so I've only been to a couple but last week I'm not a mistake I have imperfections and I got to learn to accept those. But I'm not a mistake. And though I may feel odd being here, what is all this? My being here is not a mistake. No, that's either. right. That's right. Amen to that. <laughs> Chosen before the foundation of the earth to be holy and blameless. Isn't that good? One more. You're very reluctant today. Let's get one more. Don't be shy. <laughs> Sarah saves the day. 
Um, I was listening to Chris's talk because I was on kids work when he did it and there was a bit where he said you know how many times do we go to Jesus and put forward our list of requests for things we want yeah. without first weighing up the cost of what it's actually cost him for us to go there and that for me was like wow I need to repent of that and mm. I need to get better at that yeah Good. so Zara's listened to that sermon online because she missed one all the sermons are available on the website if you've missed any there you go good plug for that so this whole series, we've been looking at the, the call, the commission, and the cost. That has been the sort of over, overriding title, um, looking through the book of Mark. And it seems to me that it was, it's the cost of being a follower of Jesus that has been an emphasis through this series. Um, and there's no exception when we get to the passage we're about to look at in a moment, which is in chapter 14 of Mark. And we're going to look at, um, starting from verse 12, in just a moment. Um, really looking at the ultimate cost. And this, this talk will follow on very closely from Sarah, if you was here. Who was here for Sarah Gelly last week? A number of you, not all of you. Sarah, that's also online. You can listen to that. This follows very closely from... Sarah's talk. Sarah painted a, a picture of Jerusalem at the time of the Passover celebrations. And she just described quite vividly the, the crowds and the noise and the smells and the sheep. Lots of sheep. And the production of those sheep in terms of their... I think she used the word poo, didn't she? Which is quite a polite way of putting it. You know, the, the smells and the heat and the dust and the noise and the chaos and the sharpening of knives getting ready for the Passover celebrations. And she described clearly the history of Passover and its importance in the Jewish calendar. You know, more than a thousand years before the time of Jesus, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt, a whole nation in miserable bondage. And if you remember the story, after sending loads of different plagues to Egypt, one fateful night, God sent a final deadly plague. And that plague would affect everyone, every household, Jewish slave or Egyptian master. Death was coming. But there was a way to avoid the angel of death. A preacher and writer, Tim Keller, put it like this. He said, the only way for your family to escape was to put your faith in God's sacrificial provision. Namely, you had to slay a lamb and put the blood on the doors as a sign of your faith in God. In every home that night, there would either be a dead child or a dead lamb. When God poured out his justice, it either fell on your family, terrible, or you found protection under the blood of the lamb. If you accepted that protection, if you accepted that shelter, then death passed over you. You were saved. 
Imagine if you was back there then. What would you choose? Would you have chosen to put blood on your doorposts if God told you to? Do this, paint the blood of a lamb on your door and get death will pass you by. If we look back and we think, well, it's just no, it's, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? I want to live, so I'll shelter under the blood. That's how God delivered the Israelites and then led them to the promised land, to, to freedom. A pivotal moment in, in Jewish history, but also a pivotal moment in the history of mankind. And that's, that's why the Jews have been celebrating Passover when the angel of death pass, passed over ever since. A thousand years before Jesus or more. But you think, why on earth would the killing of a fluffy little lamb exempt us from God's justice? Let's look at Mark 14. I'm going to read from verse 12 um, to to verse 16, and then we'll, we'll pick up the end of that passage in a little while. So Mark 14, verse 12 reading from the New Living Translation. He says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. I mean, somebody, somebody just pointed out to me as well, even the wonder of that. I mean, Jesus gave him very specific instructions with supernatural foreknowledge. He told him who he was going to see. Uh, he was carrying a pitcher of water. That was the sign, you know, follow him, go into his house. There, the, the room's going to be there. I mean, it's all weird and amazing, isn't it? But you, but you think that, that image of Jerusalem that Sarah described last week, the place was packed. There were hundreds of thousands of extra people potentially in Jerusalem. Where was there going to be a spare room? But God had a room planned. He plans our lives, doesn't he? He knows about our lives, the detail of it. You'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. It's good they did what God said, wasn't it? Maybe we should emulate that, do you think? Yeah. So... So, and so, so the, the Passover's being prepared in this room that God has put there for them. Now, traditionally, families and maybe friends as well would gather in, in the evening, and the custom would be to read the, the, what would be the well-known narrative of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. And, and they would, as a family and friends, they would discuss the story. And there would also be other set things to do. It's, very, it's quite a ritualistic event, this Passover meal. There, there'd be certain blessings um, at certain points through the evening, special Passover songs they would have sung to each other. They would drink uh, four cups of wine at different points through the evening. 
They'd eat the unleavened bread and other symbolic food, including the lamb as well, of course. And the person presiding over that Passover meal would, you know, he would, it, it would show the bread. He would take that unleavened bread and he'd say different words over it. Something, you know, something like, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. So it's all, the whole thing was symbolic and reminding them for, for generation after generation of the freedom that God bought for them. And Jesus was the person presiding over this particular Passover meal. And Mark 14 continues to tell us what happened. If we go to verse 22, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Of God. Then they sang a hymn, I said they sung hymns to each other, and went out to the Mount of Olives. Imagine what those people sitting round that table thought. Because Jesus had departed from the script completely. Right? They were so familiar with the order of this. It's like our, we're so familiar with Christmas, and we all do Christmas in our own way, but we've all got our Christmas tradition. And he's totally departed from the script. He shows the bread as usual. We think, oh, this, this is going well. He's got the bread out. And then he says, this is my body. What's he going on about? What does he mean? He's doing it wrong. Right? What he's saying is, this is the bread of my affliction. This is the bread of my suffering. Right? Why? Because I'm going to lead the ultimate exodus and bring you the ultimate deliverance from bondage. He's drawing that parallel with the Jewish people, with that massive exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land and into freedom. And he's saying, this is the ultimate one. It's going to happen through me. Jesus makes an oath. He makes a promise at that point, doesn't he? He makes a covenant. He said, in verse 24, we, we've just read it. This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. This is serious. This isn't just a throwaway comment. This is a deal. This is a promise. This is signed and sealed in blood, literally. Right? His words mean that as a result of his sacrifice, there's a new covenant between God and his people. Oh, a legally binding, solemn, declared obligation between two parties. That's a covenant. 
It's like, you know, when you sign contracts, it's like that couple who got married yesterday. That was, they signed an official document with official witnesses and they are recorded. The, the, the documents are in the safe right now and they'll go off to the local authority. That's a covenant, isn't it? But in those days, covenants were sometimes a bit messier than that, right? They could often be sealed by killing an animal and cutting it in half and ritually walking between the two halves of that animal as you declared your oath. Think, blimey, what are they doing? Right? Right now we're going to bring on some plastic sheets and some sharp knives and we've got a little lamb staked outside. Imagine it. Imagine doing that. The, the blood and the guts. I mean, this is <laughs> it's a visceral thing, isn't it? Right, but that's what they did. Or, or, that, or they might, you might have um, the blood of a slaughtered animal liberally splashed on you as you made your covenant promise, right? You know, and that's a way of saying, if I don't do what I promised, you can spill my blood. Blow me, it's memorable, isn't it? You'd remember that. This covenant promise is based on the blood of Jesus. This is my blood, he said, when he held up that cup on that Passover meal. This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out. And that imagery, they would be very familiar with those promises of blood and dead animals everywhere. This is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When he said that, when he said that he wouldn't eat or drink until he meets us in the kingdom of God, there's another promise implied in that as well. He's promising to bring us to our Father's house, to his kingdom. In my Father's house are many rooms. We have a home. He's saying, I'll see you there. I'll be there. And by holding up that bread and that cup of wine at the Passover meal with those words, this is my body, this is my blood. Jesus is saying that all the earlier sacrifices that they would have been so familiar with, all those slaughtered Passover lambs were pointing at one ultimate sacrifice. Thousands of years of Lambs being killed on, on that annual basis and other, and other sacrifices, all pointing to one. To who? To Jesus. Not mummy. <laughs> Although I'm sure she makes many sacrifices for you. Thank you. And... <laughs> Thank you. And, and just as that very first Passover meal was eaten the night before God redeemed the Israelites from slavery, you know, through, through the blood of you know, maybe hundreds, thousands of lambs, this particular Passover meal here in Mark chapter 14 was eaten the night before God redeemed the world from sin and death through the blood of just one lamb 
Jesus. The pure and perfect Jesus. Without blemish. The one who didn't deserve death chose to die as a sacrifice for us. This is the pivotal moment for mankind in lots of ways, isn't it? Jesus who left the perfection of heaven to come to this earth to, to live and breathe as a man knowing that sacrifice was to come and he was the sacrifice and most of us know the story of his arrest and his torture his abuse the mockery you know this lamb when he was led out to that place of execution was bleeding his flesh was ripped apart and he was taken outside the city to a place of execution a shameful cursed place and then shed even more blood now the blood was running down his face from that crown of thorns from his back lashed open and nailed to that cross of wood bleeding again I'm emphasizing this for a reason because one, you know, we can say, oh, chopping up animals on the stage, oh, that's horrible, isn't it? All that blood, oh, this is Jesus. Bleeding for us. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that's how much he loved us. And we know all the things that we've done wrong, don't we? And he says, I know them too. And this is how much I love you. And bleeds for us and dies for us. The ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm forever grateful. You know, we can scoot over these stories. How many times have I read through Mark 14? don't take long to read the whole of Mark does it you can read this before you have your dinner 16 short chapters and then when you read it again and you think man what has he done how grateful am I how grateful should we be the ultimate Passover lamb you know Jesus is the main course if we think of that meal, he's the main course. That Passover meal was proscribed, it was structured, there was a traditional moment celebrated for hundreds, more than a thousand years in the same way. You know, and so everyone would have been familiar. Jesus blessed the bread, all Passover meals had bread, didn't they? Jesus blessed the wine, all Passover meals had those cups of wine. But you know, have you noticed, none of these gospel accounts mention an essential element of the Passover meal. Do you know what that is? They don't mention explicitly the lamb. Where's the lamb? There's no mention of the lamb on the table. Maybe because the lamb was sat 
at the table. You know, John the Baptist, when he, when he saw Jesus walking towards him, you read it in John's Gospel, he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb. And those words in Isaiah 53, which, which says, The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. This is my body. This is my blood poured out. He's saying, I'm the one. I'm the lamb. I'm the one Isaiah was talking about all those years ago. It's me, the Messiah. I'm the one John pointed to. Think, thank you, Jesus. I just want to read a few words from Revelation chapter 5, which again refer, I think Sarah read these last week. There's nothing wrong with reading the public reading of Scripture, is there? I read the first. I think I might even read the whole of chapter 5 of Revelation. Listen very carefully. John's vision, revelation, John's experience. He says, and he's, he says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals of this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then he says, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represented the sevenfold spirit of God. And then it sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And it continues. Worthy, this is the angelic chorus, the angelic host. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Who would have thought it? Uh, the image of a slaughtered lamb is being exalted in the highest heavens. It doesn't make sense, yet it's wonderfully true. Jesus is the Lamb. It's just glorious stuff, isn't it? We've got a feast on him. Come and eat. Is, is, I'll exalt, I'm exalting myself and I'm exalting you. Come and eat. You know, that first Passover meal in Egypt was, it was a proper meal. 
Loads of symbolism, and which continued. But it was a proper meal. They didn't only paint the blood of the lamb and the door. They ate it as well. We have to feed on him. You don't get any benefit from food unless you actually eat it, do you? You could have the best banquet of your most favorite foods. You could weigh down a table in front of you. It could be perfectly cooked. The aroma could fill the room. Can you smell your roast lamb cooking now? Right? But if you leave it on the table, what good will it do you? Don't leave Jesus on the table. Feast on him. Eat him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It says somewhere completely out of context to this, but eat him. Right? And there's something, I will come on, because I'm loving this. <laughs> Thank you. This is good though, isn't it? And I just want to highlight something else from, from this passage as well, which I think is just worth reminding ourselves of. From the whole tr- tradition of Passover, you know, like I said, much like Christmas today, Passover is a family time. You know, it's a time when people make the effort to get with family. They may be living miles away, but they come together for Passover. You know, in the United States, Thanksgiving is a big deal where families travel long distances to be together for that particular meal. Passover was much the same. So what does Jesus do? He calls his disciples. We know some of them have got family because it's in Scripture. He calls his disciples He doesn't to him. He doesn't say... Oh, go, go, you best go back to your families. It's Passover time. He takes them away from their blood families to share Passover, Passover with him. What does that say to us? That speaks of a brand new family. We are family. Look around. Literally, have a look around. Look around. This is your family, right? Some are, some are older. And some are younger, some are richer, some are poorer, some are blacker, some are whiter, some, some are highly educated, some don't have much formal education at all. Some speak with funny accents. <laughs> I was thinking at Burnley. <laughs> so many differences, yet we are one family, ain't we? This is the new family of God. Oh, that's what this points at, our diversity. You know, they, people say blood is thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood, right? Jesus himself said it earlier in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 3. He said, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We're family. Let's remember that. And we will fall out sometimes, but let's be quick to be reconciled. Let's be quick to forgive. Let's be quick to love and serve one another. Finally. (laughs) I've got done all right. A new future. It's a new family and a new future. Because this Passover meal also points to our future with Jesus. And I've alluded to this already, but I just want to highlight it. 
where he says, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. He's pointing to our eternal future with him. Right? There's a feast coming. It's going to be even better than that Passover feast. It's a heavenly banquet. Right? An ultimate feast. Imagine, imagine if you could transport yourself back to Egypt at that time of that first Passover meal, just after that meal. And you had the opportunity to speak to one of those Israelites as they were gathering their possessions quick, right? They, they've ate the bread. The bread was unleavened bread because they didn't have time to cook, le, you know, le, leavened bread with the yeast allowed to rise. Eat quick, right? You had the opportunity to speak to one of those Israelites as he's putting on his coat and picking up his bag and gathering the kids. And you say to him, what's going on? What's happening? And he says, listen, I was a slave. I was under the sentence of death. The angel of death was coming, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and escaped. And now God lives among us. and, and, And we're following him. You know, that pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. We're following him to the promised land. It's going to be wonderful there. Right? Isn't that our testimony as Christians today? Right? We're following him to our new heavenly home. We have a promised land. That's where we live. We're just, it's a cliche, but it's true. We're passing through right now. Right? Listen, I'm going to finish with um, a quote from Tim Keller again. He said this. If, some of these are multi-syllable words, but I'm sure you can cope. If you, if you trust in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, don't you like that? Do you, do you understand that? Yeah? If you trust in Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, the greatest longings of your heart will be satisfied on the day you sit down for that eternal feast in the promised kingdom of God. Shall I pray? Oh, we could pray for as long as we preach, couldn't we? Jesus, thank you, thank you, and thank you again. Thank you for your eternal plan. From before the foundation of the earth, we we know you chose us, and we know you've prepared us for a heavenly banquet, a perfect, a pure and perfect heavenly home. Thank you for your grace towards us that you speak to us loud and clear through the Bible, through Scripture, that we can learn so much of you. You can stir our souls. Even as we've heard today and as we've, we've looked at this today, that, that it was all part of the plan. That over a thousand years of Passover meals, but it was all pointing to you, Jesus. And thank you for including us. Thank you for making us your family. Thank you for drawing us together with a new future, the people of God on the move. And it's all because of Jesus and his blood shed. Amen.